Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited to, to get another opportunity to unpack the, the Holy Word of God today. If you want to go ahead and turn uh, to where we are, we, we are in the Revelation, uh, and we are in chapter 18, uh, and we'll pick up today and finish out 18. We'll start in verse 9 and finish the rest of the chapter today, okay? And, unless I chase rabbits and I'm not a good steward of time. Uh, but that is our plan today. So go ahead and turn there as we continue our walk through the Revelation. Want to make you aware of a couple things that are going on with themanchurch.com. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's my day job. That's why we come to you from this studio. Uh, but also director of themanchurch.com. That is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we have now eclipsed 800 churches in, uh, in another growth pattern right now. I think what's happening now, we have all these churches that have done it for a year or two, some three, and now the, the word of mouth is getting out there. We've got pastors with testimonies and men's ministry leaders with testimonies passing it along, and so it's really starting to churn again. So we're very, very thankful about that. And But if you want us to uh, help you in any way with uh, curriculum, and also speakers, you can go to themanchurch.com, and we'll help you. Our, our strategy is right out of Scripture. Uh, it features high challenge, but also what has been sadly missing too many times, high equipping. Uh, so today will be an opportunity. If you are watching this or listening to this, and it is August 23rd, I'll be headed to Tuscumbia, Alabama tonight uh, for Parkview Baptist Church. They finished Curriculum 1. Uh, this will now be the service that will transition them into Curriculum 2. So excited to be with them uh, tonight in Tuscumbia. On the 31st of August, Calvary Baptist Church, Union City, Tennessee. Lee Moore from our team will be there. And then now we can look on into September. Believe it or not, September, it's on us. Uh, I'll be headed to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. I'll be at Sand Spring Baptist Church, and I'll be speaking there on Saturday night, September the 9th. That will kick off. Uh, the, I mean, continue their uh, man church strategy. This is the next man church. Then the next morning, I'll actually preach at both services. So looking forward to that. Coming up on September the 10th, Ozark Baptist Church in Ozark, Alabama. Brian Gunn will be there uh, on October the 14th. First Baptist Church, Crestview uh, in Crestview, Florida. Andy Blanks will be there. And Mangum Baptist Church in Mangum, Louisiana, Rich Wingo and I will go together and we'll actually do two sessions. I'll preach one and, and Wingo the other uh, for those men there. Uh, and then uh, there'll be others that'll be coming up. Uh, matter of fact, I do want to tell you that I just found out it's not on our website yet, but uh, Andy Blanks will also be at Northside Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. They're continuing the strategy, and they'll have their next man church on uh, September the 28th. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into the Revelation. Chapter 18, we'll start in verse 9, and we'll try to get all the way through 24. Lord, thank us, uh, th thank you uh, for being with us here today. And, and we just sit here with, with gracious hearts, and we're also thankful for your grace, your mercy. But at the same time, Lord, we, we are willing to hear your challenge today uh, as we see two completely different points of view today. Uh, and then we kind of assess ourselves and say, which one of these points of view do we really have? Uh, it's a futuristic uh, event that we're about to see, Lord, but you told us to prepare for that day to come. Uh, and look at the birth pangs that are going on everywhere right now, Lord, and, and understand uh, the times that we're living in, uh, that the days are evil, and, and not to walk as the unwise, but to walk as the wise. So help us uh, to, to have wisdom for understanding your warnings uh, and what you have commanded, and maybe to stop spending so much time trying to look into your word for what you allow, and maybe spend more time in looking into your word for what you command. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, all right, so let's let's go to the Revelation chapter 18. We're going to jump into this pretty quick, uh, starting in verse 9. And you're going to see there's going to be two different reactions to this now uh, judgment uh, that has been handed down on this last and most powerful human empire, uh, the New Babylon. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about that, but we're going to continue that now. And and since the destruction has started and the Lord God Almighty is destroying uh, the, the new Babylon that is to come, you see that this judgment has two different reactions by two different groups of people uh, that we will look at today. One reaction, you're going to see a group of people that are actually grieved by this judgment. Uh, they realize that everything that they place their hope in 
is being destroyed before their very eyes. And they are grieving and they're lamenting the judgment. But then you're going to see another group of, of people that are quite thrilled with it. Uh, and they are celebrating uh, this judgment. And so kind of the question we have to ask is, if that were happening right now, which one of these groups would we be in? Um, so we're going to unpack that for you, okay? So uh, let's start uh, in verse in verse 9. And, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, when we say her, we're talking about the harlot, we're talking about the, 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 the empire, um, will weep and they will wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far away in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. So keep in mind those that are lamenting the judgment and the destruction of modern-day Babylon, and this is key for us to apply to our lives now, as we kind of touched on this over the last two weeks on the on the, the present application of being real careful that we are not we're not living lives that look more like we worship the world than we do God, are placing our hope in things of the world than we are things of God. Because what you're going to find with this group, which is not the group you want to be in, you're going to find with this group that they are not lamenting over their sin. That's not what they're lamenting over. And that's a big difference. Uh, they are lamenting, and the cry that they're crying and the wailing that they're, they're doing is not over how has our sin brought this judgment. They're wailing on how can God destroy what we loved. They're lamenting the, the destruction of Babylon. They're not lamenting their sin. So that's important because what they thought they had created, now I want you to think about what's going on in, your, in, in this world right now. They felt like they had finally created a utopia of sin. And the modern-day Babylon is the center city, the most successful city of this utopia of sin. And God, as he always does, says, let me go right to where you're placing all your hope, where you think you've done it the best, and I'm going to knock that out. And notice where they're, and you'll, we'll get deeper on this, they are aghast how easy God did it. It didn't take long. And, and you know, this is where we see that there's a, quite a distance between Satan and and God, uh, he, he destroyed the world, the unrepented world, uh, and they will have be. It'll be dismay and, and mourning from them, but again, not for their sin. So let's look at this first thing in, in verse nine: the kings of the earth, uh, verse nine and ten. So these, as we know, are the ten kings uh, of of Antichrist. These are all the different empires that he has placed them in charge of. They mourn. And, and you notice the analogy that John is using when he sees this. He says they're mourning like an ex-lover that's lost his harlot. You know, th this was the woman I used to sleep with. This is the woman that did all these things sexually for me. Uh, and I'm mourning the loss of my access to this harlot. And it was a harlot that they all loved. Some are going to approach and see the smoke, uh, as we see there, the rest we'll see it from the world's media. You know, think about it. The world's media somehow through all this continues to operate because of all the things we're seeing. God's allowing that, this technology where so many people can see these things happening. So you see some of them have actually arrived, but others will just see it from where they still are because there'll be coverage of this. And, and they all will be careful, though, to keep their distance. Have you noticed that? Fear what? You, you ever had that happen? It happened to me when I was running with the dogs. When you run with evil people, here's what you got to understand. When you get in a bind, they're gone. Okay? And so what you're seeing now is don't go near that. We may, we may become part of this. They didn't run to her rescue, did they? They just looked from a distance and said, wow, that looks bad. Uh, and, and if we get too close, we may get caught up in that. Okay? Uh, so that's what they're concerned about. Uh, and you know what they realize, too, pretty quick? They're unable to help. There ain't nothing we can do against that. You ever seen a problem that was so beyond your capabilities you just went, ain't nothing I can do about that. Uh, so notice that the thing, and I, I mentioned this, but I want to dig in on it a little bit here. Notice what they said right here. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. They can't believe that. 
here was this fortified city with all this wealth, with all this power, they thought, and the very God that they've been rejecting, that God destroyed everything they placed their hope in in about an hour. Now, that understand the language of the Bible. That doesn't mean a literal hour. It may very well have been. But the main thing that John's trying to show us, it happened quick. It was not a long period of time. They can't believe how quick it was wiped out. And, and, they, and they make that uh, pretty clear. And you know the conclusion you can hear them coming to? Well, this city wasn't really strong at all. Remember this? We've, we've, we've heard this analogy, and it's a good one, all the way back to David and Goliath. Everybody thinks Goliath is undefeatable. And for the humans that were gathered, that was pretty true. They, they, they didn't have anybody who could defeat this guy. But what David understood that his brothers and the others didn't is, compared to us, he looks bad. But compared to God, he actually looks quite tiny. It won't be any big deal for God to kill this giant. And it ain't no big deal for God to wipe out Babylon. Not a big deal at all. So now let's look at the next group of people, the merchants, uh, in verses 11 through 17. So the kings have seen it. Now we'll see what the merchants. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, people, slaves, that is human souls, the fruit of which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off, there it is again, in fear of her torment, there it is again, weeping and mourning aloud. Listen to what the merchants say. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with pearls. Here it is again. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. You know what they realize? This stuff doesn't mean anything anymore. Can't nobody buy it. Uh, the merchants placed all of their faith, and this is the running theme of this chapter today, don't, don't, don't miss it. If you and I, or you or I, decide that all of our hope is placed on the economy, on our money, on our stuff, and that's where your hope is, you are in for a rude awakening, and you're in for major dismay and disappointment because it's all going away. It can't be placed in that. You, you, don't, you don't believe that? Do you not remember what we've all been through? How many of you, how many of you in, in this room and all of you out there, I have lots. How many of you had friends of yours or family members that the housing market crash of 2008 took away their entire livelihood? Some who never got it back. Some of them found other ways to survive. Some never returned. Some had to find other things to do. I just remember on my on my very street, they had they had built all these new houses. Because you remember it was booming. And they built all these brand new houses and they just sat there. And they sat there. And they sat there. And one contractor after another folded. Because all that was was money sucking and sucking and sucking and they couldn't sell them. And then what happens then? Then the bank takes over and they go in there and they do contract grade on what's left to finish them out and they try to sell them off for cheap. So now people got houses that really are cheaply finished and and they just became bargain houses and not really finished out and all these people that said made all these plans with the money they were going to make off selling those houses well, that didn't happen. So our faith must be placed in something greater. How many restaurants after the pandemic never returned? How many businesses never returned? How many jobs never returned? All it took was a housing market crash 
in a worldwide pandemic, and you can feel a little bit of what these merchants are feeling. I, I look, I experienced it in our business. We, we still haven't recovered. We're still not back to where we were. I'm making less money now than, than I was making five years ago. I mean, I, I'm okay. I, I still have, I'm, I'm still taken care of and I'm not fretting that I'm, you know, can't pay my bills, but I don't make as much money as I used to because the economy has been impacted so much that it didn't come back. We, our revenue was down 40%. You know what we ran into? Advertisers that didn't have any budget because they weren't open. And then we had online, you know, the e-commerce people. They had so much business, they canceled too. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, they, they were saying, we can't handle all the customers. Everybody's buying online now. Food's going to people's houses. Everything's going. They don't want to get out. So we're booming, and we're booming so much, we can't advertise because if we took on new customers, we'd upset them, and that would hurt us in the long run because we can't service them. Didn't see that coming. So there's all kinds of things you don't even predict that are indirect that happen too, and these merchants are looking, and this time God has said to them, is this what your hope is placed in? And don't think he just did it to them. A lot of us had stuff taken away from us, and God's teaching us the same lesson. He's teaching us the same lesson right now. Don't you put your hope in this. This better not be it. And uh, and so when, when they're looking at this, they realize, I love that John took the time to list all the commodities. He wants us to know that this stuff sounds so, what a list. And you know what he's letting you know? It's worthless. Ain't nobody to buy it. And and so the, the, the catalog of goods listing there were all very common commodities in, the, in, in those times that, that John was living in. So look at this. Look what John Phillips said about it. He, he really laid it out great about this picture we just saw, saw. What a catalog of opulence. What a vivid picture of a great commercial city trafficking in every luxury the heart could desire. This is the world's great vanity fair. It offers articles of adornment, uh, and display beautiful things to grace the mansions of the world's millionaires. It deals in exotic spices, perfumes, delicacies for the table, provisions for banquets, uh, slaves for the work to be done. The souls of human beings were even available to these people. And Babylon in, imported all these things. They flowed into her new and magnificent harbor with seaports from seaports around the world. The business magnets and, 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 and the earth, they harness their industries, their export trade, um, you know, their, their entire commercial enterprise for Babylon, the wealth of the world passed through her clearinghouse. Babylon, uh, Babylon's demand for the world's good, goods was what? Insatiable. It was never enough. It, it, ever it clamored for more and more, but now nothing is left of the city. Her giant warehouses have gone up in smoke. The fabulous markets and shopping centers are reduced to smoldering rubble. Her multimillionaires are dead in one hour. So great riches are brought to nothing, and the merchants standing out of reach of Babylon choking on these highways that all their goods used to go in to be sold that lead into that city. Now they're standing on the very roads where their commerce came in the city and all they can do is watch with horror as their investments, their inventory, and their fortunes go up in smoke. And they ain't nothing to do about it. And everything they place their faith in is gone. See, if they had their faith placed in God, then, then they could take a little John 16, 33. Even if it all falls apart, if you belong to me, you have peace in your heart because I've overcome all this. Your biggest problem has been resolved. If your eternity is not resolved and all you got is temporal, I wouldn't hang on to temporal because uh, because uh, th- that's why it's called that. It's temporary. They uh, they were addressing Babylon directly. The things that that they thought were so wonderful will never be available to them again. They have all passed away. And then in verse 15 and 16, they joined the kings. Now the kings, look, kings are standing there. And you know what? You picture this. Now all the merchants are walking up, and the kings are like, wow. And they just joined that crowd, standing out there watching it go up in smoke. And you know what they say? The exact same thing. Can you believe this? 
It didn't take God but an hour to knock this whole thing down. So who's next? Well, we talked about the harbors. So next, it's all the shipmasters and uh, the seafaring men. They got the same problem. Uh, Verse 17 through 19. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those who trade, uh, whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. Look at this. I love this line. What city, what city was like the great city? You know what they thought? Man, they want nothing better than this. Hmm. That's that that's that yearning for the world. Man, if I could just see see all this you're thinking about are worldly things, and that that is true. But I want you not to miss something that every one of us in this room, out there watching, wherever listening, you may never be wealthy. You may never sense the 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 richness of all this. You may never even be close to the lavishness of Babylon. That may not be your problem. You may not have a mansion. You may now all of us are rich compared to the rest of the world. But you may not be. And you be thinking to yourself, you know, I, I I'm glad these rich people got what they deserved. Be careful, because this isn't just about material things. This is also an analogy of our flesh. Does your flesh ever say, "I'm good"? Ever? Does, does it clamor for more and more and more? How many more people got to jump off buildings and how many more celebrities have got to kill themselves or get addicted to drugs or become drunks when they have everything that the world says they should have? You know why? Because the flesh goes, that's ah, still not enough. And their spirit's dead, so they can't find peace. And so we, the, the flesh goes, um, how, about, how about 15 cars? And then the brain says, well, we got 13. Ah, how about 15? I'm bored with 13. So this, can you have 15? I can. You know, it goes back to this, uh, and, and we've had to deal with this too, is I think some of us have to learn that just because we can buy something still doesn't mean we should. How about a bizarre concept that you've got all you need and you give the rest to the advancement of the kingdom of God? There's a bizarre concept. Hmm? And, you know, I see this all the time, and it's not wealthy people. When sometimes people will get into this thing and say, well, I, I don't, this, such and such is not an idol for me. And I realize I'm, this is low-hanging fruit right here that we're about to get the football season. But I promise you, there's people watching this and listening to this. They're not wealthy. But they've got budget for their football tickets every single year. They've got their tailgate budget. they got all that ready to go, okay? All right? And you would think when it comes time for the church asking for something, they ain't got a dime, Okay? So, so, but they've got that money set aside. Now, if you're watching this and listening to this, you're saying, Rick, are you saying it's wrong for me to enjoy football and have that in my budget every year? No, unless, unless, unless God tells you not to do it this year and give it to this missionary that the exact amount you pay for them football tickets would plant that new church and you won't do it. Then it is a problem. Now, then it's a problem. If that's a non-negotiable for you, I'd be real careful of that. Because if God starts thinking that's too important to you, he loves to take that stuff away. Because he loves you, not because he hates you. Because he loves you, because he knows that's going to be a stumbling block for you. And then, like I've said many times, then you can be a martyr and just watch those games in high def on a 72-inch TV. Hmm. But I didn't get to go... What a martyr. What a martyr for the kingdom. So, uh, so, so, but, so if, if that's a non-negotiable for you, and it may not be a football, t- whatever it is, if that's a non-negotiable, you would not give it to the kingdom of God, then you got a problem. I'd be real afraid of that, and a good kind of afraid, because he'll take it from you. I know he will. He'll take it. He'll do whatever he has to do to humble you so that you'll cry out for him. So don't don't look at this that this is just a, a message day for rich people. It's really not. Like I said before, some of the most greedy people I know are not wealthy. Okay? And, and I'm not demonizing wealthy people because I've never really put together a project to help advance the kingdom of God that, that wealthy people didn't help. Try, try to build a new facility at your church without rich people. Good luck. 
okay, and, uh, and, 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 and try to go up and say, I've got this ministry I like, and we need to fund this pastor in a foreign land. That, those rich people come real in handy right then. I talked to a pastor last night. He said, if you want to see wealth, pastor in Dallas, Texas. He said, we, we, go, we go to build a $40 million facility, and he goes, the first two people I talk to give me $4 million and $5 million. He said, I ain't never seen wealth like that. He said, we were off to a blazing start. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, you, you see, so I'm not demonizing wealth. It's just what you do with it. And I'm also not talking about having stuff unless you worship it, and it's a non-negotiable. Paul told us to have things with an open hand. Nothing wrong with having stuff. These are blessings from God. But there is something wrong with worshiping stuff and placing your faith in stuff and, 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 and being sinful with what God has given you and telling him there's anything in your life, like football tickets, that he can't have. That's dangerous. And, and, and you'll find yourself in a bind doing that. So, 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 look, it says, what great city was like the great city? These shipmasters and these seafaring men, they can't believe that a city like that was destroyed. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it's almost like they, they couldn't imagine that ever happening, which means what? They'd overestimated the world, and they'd underestimated God. I mean, he can just, and it'd be over. Okay, so they're seeing that, and then listen, they go on, and and they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned. Now this is this is important. So you see that, and you think, okay, they're throwing dust on their heads to lament. Rick, does that mean they're repenting? Now remember, these shipmasters, these passengers, these sailors, they had made a living off Babylon because of all the ports that were there. The sea was their living. And uh, there, there's no more goods that will be transported by sea anymore. So their, their job is over. Their industry is over. There's no use for them anymore. Well, when they start throwing dust on their head, and that's true, that was something people did to lament. But don't you think for a minute that they're throwing dust on their heads to lament over their sin. They're throwing dust on their heads because they just lost their way to make a living. That's what they're mourning. I have no desire to repent of my sins. I'm just mad, and I'm mourning because I've lost my ability to keep making this money. I told you one of my my, my dear, dear friends, it was so funny. And I, this has been years ago, but I've told it in this Wednesday Bible study, but it's been so long ago there's a lot of new faces and a lot of new people that have joined us. And he was really distraught about a prayer that he was praying for with God. And I said, what, what, what are you so upset about? He said, I'm telling God that I want to be in his will. I want to be perfectly in his will. I said, why are we upset about that? He said, because he's going to take this job away from me. And I love my job, and I like the money I make. I said, I said, really? He said, no, there's no doubt. He said, because this is in the way. I can't be the husband I need to be. I can't be the father I need to be. I certainly can't serve the church like I need to and the kingdom of God. When I tell him sincerely that I want to be in his will, he's going to take this job from me. And I don't want to pray it. And so eventually we work it out, and he goes on, and he, he's going to submit to the authority of God because he's a, a man of God. And he prayed it, and he, come back, he came back to me. I, I saw him about you know, a few months later. I said, hey, so what happened with that prayer? He said, I prayed it. I said, okay. I said, you okay? He goes, yeah. I said, so God didn't take your job away? He goes, oh, no, he took it away. <laughs> yeah, just, just like I knew he would. So, so now I'm doing something different. So I, I knew that's what he was going to do, and I, I knew that's what it was going to take. I just didn't want to do it. But you know what? you got to give him credit. He finally was obedient to God, not, not, not his flesh, not his desires. And uh, so, yeah, if you're willing to, to be in his will, and you know, the, the most, the, the, if you want to say it, it, he'll answer it every time, let me give you a heads up on this one. Here's a prayer he'll answer every time. But you've got to be willing to pray it. Do whatever you have to do to get me right with you. He will. He'll answer that every time. Some of you may not have the courage to pray that, but if you do, he will answer it. Uh, so they, they lament over the city, and they said it seemed great. They, they put the dust on their head to grieve over them losing what was theirs. Uh, you know, this woe and woe, uh, the pain, the suffering. Um, you know, and, but, but remember, this is grief, but this is not repentance. Do not see this as repentance because it's not. 
They, they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out. If you want to know what they're crying out, they tell you. Alas, alas, this is now, I'm still, I'm in 19. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. So what are they lamenting? Our wealth is gone. They tell you that's what they're lamenting, okay? For in a single hour, they all can't get past this, can they? She has been laid waste. So they're not lamenting over their sin. They're lamenting over the loss of wealth. And they make that very, very clear because that was truly their God. And they had made that really clear. They decided, and this is what you got about the flesh. This is what's so cruel about the flesh and about the adversary who hates you and me. I had a friend of mine tell me one time, I've never forgotten, remember that Satan and his demons hate you with as much intensity as God loves you. And, and, and there's nothing that they love more than for God to watch his children be destroyed. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, that's, that's the worst thing they could do. It's because they can't do anything to him. Uh, and so one of the things that, that, that you have to understand is even when it's your flesh and you think to yourself, I'm going to give in to my flesh on whatever the sin. I don't know if, you're, if, you're, if your uh, experience has been like mine. As soon as I do it, the flesh, it, it might have been a, a millisecond of satisfaction, and then the flesh comes back and says, why would you do that? I bet God's mad. You've committed a sin against God. And I'm like, you taught me into this. The first thing you have is what? Regret. So why don't we stop pursuing regret? There's a good one. Uh, and and I, I know that, when, and I've told you all this story, some of you before, we were in Mobile, Alabama. I told this Sunday night, by the way, at one of the churches that was kicking off the, the man church, because on the front row there were a bunch of high school males. And I literally walked down and, 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 and said, I want to I share this part for y'all. Get this right now. And I said, I was in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, the Holy Spirit was just... I mean, going wide open in this place. And men were being convicted, and it was just, and there were multiple speakers. I sat and I was honored enough to be part of it. It was, su- there was, it was such a movement of the Holy Spirit in there. We literally had a man who had somehow got in a pastor of all things um, and had positioned himself in the upper deck, and he had a gun and was going to kill himself. That's how distraught some of these men were. Uh, which was an interesting time of decision, but um, when someone has a gun, but but we but we were able to we were able to work all that out and um, and 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 eventually got the gun from him and and he repented and said that he can't he heard what he needed to hear, but one of the things that was going on I'm just trying to give you the level of intensity in that room. So when we had the time of response, you know, kind of like the Bible says, the gospel demands a response. The altar began to fill up with men, I'm 58 years old, around my age, a little bit older, maybe a few years younger, but that, that window, probably probably 54 to 65, kind of right in there, maybe some guys in their 70s. And as they came forward to the altar, I, I've never heard wailing and crying out like that. I never have. Never, never had before, never have since. And so much that it was uncomfortable. I mean, it was like it was kind of uncomfortable to hear. They were wailing and crying and screaming. Well, you, Rich Wingo was with me, so y'all know Wingo. And um, just just text back and forth to him a minute ago. Well, he immediately goes out to get the young guys, immediately, that are coming forward. And he walks them over to these old men and older men wailing and mourning, and he says, listen to the sound of that. He said, do you know what that is? That is the sound of regret. Don't live your life with that kind of regret. Now, the good news is, if they're sincere, all this is being made right. But think about what they've had to live with up to this point. If you want to hear how bad it is, just listen. They can't believe they've done the things they've done. And it did not fulfill them, and all it did was give, saddle them with a weight of regret. Praise God, there was hope, and they turned. But he said, don't get yourself in that place. You go ahead and repent now. 
and get under the authority of God. And you don't have to be like some of us and carry around that regret that your flesh and the adversary tries to use against you the rest of your life till, till you're glorified. And I thought that was that's that's kind of that's kind of what you got to understand is here are all these people and them feeding their flesh and them looking for hope in the things of the world. They've only been left with nothing but regret. Everything I placed my hope in is gone. See, I placed my hope in Jesus. So guess what? He ain't going anywhere. He wins. Nothing can take him out of my life. And so if the worst thing that happens to me, I end up broke, sick, and die, I promise you my life will just be beginning. It won't be ending. ending. And I didn't put my hope in all that stuff anyway. So, so that's what we see here. Now watch the turn. And this is the group we want to be in. So we've had a group that they're lamenting the destruction of Babylon, and we switch in verse 20 to a group that is what? Rejoicing at the destruction of Babylon. Rejoicing. Look at this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. There's a shift. Heaven sees the destruction quite differently than the world sees it. Saints, that's that's all that are redeemed. Apostles, and, and we know that that's a separate group, even though they're part of the saints. If you don't believe that, jot this down. Ephesians 2.20, Ephesians 4.11, you'll see that the, these, these groups that are being mentioned by John, they are specific groups. The saints, that's all that have been redeemed. Okay, uh, and and then you then you have the apostles, and then you also say they're rejoicing, and then you also see the prophets, they are rejoicing. Uh, they're, they're all called to rejoice over the fall of Babylon because God has pronounced judgment for them against her. The world has not treated these people well. The saints were martyred. The apostles were martyred. The prophets often martyred. They, they face so much pushback from the world, and what they're seeing is what God had been telling them all along. Vengeance is mine. I will. Don't you worry. Don't you, you'll be vindicated. I'll take care of all who opposed you. If they don't repent and join you, then I will come against them. That day is coming, and here it is. It's actually the long-awaited moment. Can you imagine the moment if you're the martyred saints, the martyred apostles, the martyred prophets, in this moment of, of retribution, vindication, and God's vengeance for the martyred, you know th- this is that tribulation uh, that, uh, that that they were praying for way back in Revelation. If you want to go back and cross-reference uh, six, nine, and ten, what they were praying for and what they were hoping for. Remember that time God said, "Just hang on." Well, that 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 period of waiting is over. Okay. And, uh, and, and, there's, and, and this is the thing that some of you I know it will make you uncomfortable, but I want you to understand this because I hope it will bring you comfort, not discomfort. Now, the discomfort should be make every effort you can to be sure you don't have to deal with this, meaning people you love are going to be destroyed. But I will tell you this about the power of God. The people that we love, if they decide to reject God, there will be a transformation that will take place in our lives where we will be against them as well because they are now enemies of God and we are not. I know you may think that's that I, I, I'm just telling you, and that ought to motivate us that we don't end up in that situation, that people we love would be enemies of God. But I promise you, if you think those who reject the one and only holy God that you know personally or you may currently even love, uh, family, friends, if you think it's going to ruin your time with, with, with the one and only living God, it ain't going to. You'll never think about it again. Because his glory and being with him and right with him will supersede any earthly relationship that you ever clung to. And, and I know that you're saying, well, I, you know, the, what, I, what I don't like is people go, well, I don't know about that. You, you're talking with a finite mind and you still got flesh on. You don't understand that what I'm saying is true. I want you to find peace in that. Does that mean we give up and go, well, who cares? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that we know what these people would face, so that ought to drive us even more 
to do everything that we can do when we can stand. You know, I love I, I you know Paul just what a character, but but I love in, in Acts twenty. You know, he spent all this time with the Ephesians and and he's done his part and he's taught them pure theology. And he's and they're crying. He said, "Don't you know? Let's not cry. Let's don't get emotional. It's true. You're not going to see me anymore. He knows he's never going to see him again." And you think, well, Paul's going to do this real warm and fuzzy goodbye. And all of a sudden he says, hey, now let me be clear. If y'all falter, it ain't on me. I told y'all the truth. I taught you sound theology. If you reject it, don't blame me. My hands are clean concerning you. And that's the way I am with my relationships on earth. I have people that I love that, that they're not in. But what I want to make sure is they're not in because they're ignorant. They're not in because they choose not to be in, not because I didn't tell them. Okay? Now, I can't control their choices, but I can control whether I actually did what I was told to do. Somebody called up the other day, and they were trying to get me off on this. You know, hey, How do you feel about this, and how do you feel about this theology, and where are you on this, and pre, and elect, and post, and free will? And, and I said, can I just tell you something, brother? I love you. Don't mean you any harm. I said, I have been told by the, the Lord and Savior of my life that I am to be his disciple and make disciples. It takes up all my time. I don't really have time to sit around and pontificate where God who created time and above time, how all this works out. I honestly don't have time for that. That's not a redemption issue. It's not a salvation issue. Because even if you believe God has done whatever, None of us can ignore that he said, be disciples and make disciples. Teach them to obey all I have commanded. Am I going to run to him and go, well, I don't know if I should do that because hadn't you got this already figured out? He didn't say that. And you got to be careful if you put too much weight in some of this figuring it out because really, as human beings always do, if, if some of us were honest, we're trying to look for a loophole so we don't have to do it. And it breeds apathy, in my opinion. So I just don't spend a lot of time on that. I don't even know why it matters. Because I've been told to be a disciple and make disciples. And brothers, that takes up all my time. So pardon me if I hadn't been sitting on the mountain pontificated, pontificating all everybody's different thoughts on theology. I understand the gospel. And the gospel is at the center of what I'm doing, and that's all that matters to me. When I have free time, that's what I do. Okay? Um, and even when I'm at work, I still try to do it. Okay? It's hard to do it when I'm watching, you know, a little girly movie or, you know, out at a little restaurant on a date. I try to I try to pause it a little bit there, but I'm still always looking because you don't ever know, you know. And I got the kind of wife that wouldn't mind for us to use a date to maybe re bring somebody to Christ. So I don't ever turn that off. And I don't know about y'all. It just takes up all my time. That doesn't mean I don't rest. We're supposed to rest, you know. But even when I'm resting, I'm resting so I can be ready to do what he told me to do. You know, so. uh so, so I wouldn't chase those kind of rabbits because uh, is there anybody that has come up with a theology that's not blasphemy that says we don't believe in our theology, our church doesn't believe you're supposed to be a disciple and make disciples and teach people all he's commanded? Anybody ready for that? Because if that's your church, I don't want to be part of it anyway because y'all are going to hell. You know, because that's heresy. That's, that's, that's apostasy. So I'm going to concentrate on what we all agree on or should agree on as a church, and that is be disciples, make disciples, and teach them all that I have commanded. And I can't teach people something I don't know. Anybody say amen? Amen. So, and that's why we're here, isn't it? So, so anyway, uh, this moment is taking place, and so there's rejoicing in heaven, and, and, and they are rejoicing. You know, and, 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 and it's okay to understand that this rejoicing doesn't have to be you're rejoicing over people's damnation. So I don't want you to think that's what I'm saying. What's really being rejoiced here is the triumph of righteousness. God is no longer being blasphemed. The, the God that we serve, the God that redeemed us, the, the day of him having enemies against him is over, and it's about to completely come to a close, and Babylon opposed the God we serve, and God has destroyed that, and we celebrate the, the victory of righteousness, right? I, I, I had Romans 6 come alive to me this week in a way that, you know, back to we don't ever stop studying it. Don't ever think, I already know that. I was reading it, and I was watching Paul as he was, because we're doing the, the fifth curriculum now for themanchurch.com, and one of the sessions I did yesterday was Romans 6. And Paul is just so upset. I mean, he's furious that we think that grace has freed us to sin. 
It's free. He's saying you've freed us from sin. It hasn't freed us to sin. And 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 then I go over and cross-reference that, you know, with John taking on the Gnostics in First John chapter three. And John is saying, look, and, and he and Paul are working together in concert on this. Here's the deal. No, you're not going to get perfection on this side of heaven. You're not going to get perfection on this side of glorification. But the fact that you've been made fully righteous by the grace of God through Jesus, what should be happening in your sanctification, which is what the fifth curriculum is all about, sanctification, what should be happening in your sanctification is you should mostly be righteous, and when you're not righteous, that's abnormal. Not you're you're sinful, and when, when one day in a moment you decide to be righteous, that's abnormal. Y'all have got this backwards. You should be mostly righteous, and when you're not, that's abnormal because of sanctification. Not, I'm still sinful, most everything hasn't changed, but every now and then I'm righteous. He said, y'all got this upside down. And that's the celebration of righteousness winning because, uh, because that, that, that's it. It's the elimination of his enemies. And wh- you know what else everybody's fired up about? Or the arrival of his kingdom on earth. It's what we've been waiting on, new heaven, new earth. Anybody fired up about that at all? I promise you it's going to be better than this. I can't believe I even have to convince people of that. I know we can have some great moments here on earth. I praise God for that. I've had some some wonderful days. But they're usually also mixed with really bad, tragic days. I'd like to take the bad, tragic days and be done with them. Amen? Okay, so... So then we get to verses 21 through 24, and this is the judgment completed, and then we'll, we'll be done. The mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more? And the sound of the harpist and the musicians and the flute players and the trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. I love that John specifies, now this was a very strong angel. And the angel takes this analogy of a millstone, and the millstone was used to grind grain. It was usually about four to five feet in diameter and about a foot thick. It was very heavy. And the angel explains that I'm going to throw this millstone into the ocean, into the sea, and I want you to watch it. As that millstone disappears at about that same rate, Babylon's going to be gone. That's how insignificant this is to God. It's going to be just like that millstone. It's gone. It sinks real fast, and uh, and the angel explains that that is uh, that is Babylon disappearing. Um, if you have your Bible, let, let's go to Jeremiah. Okay, the prophet Jeremiah talks about this. Now, this is Jeremiah talking about the Babylon at the time, but remember, it's also looking ahead to the future Babylon in in uh, chapter fifty one of Jeremiah sixty one through sixty four. And here's what Jeremiah was saying, talking about this. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words, and say, O Lord, you have, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates, and say thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. See, he used the same analogy. He said, on this Babylon, same thing, throw a millstone not in the sea but in the Euphrates, and as that thing sinks, that's what's about to happen to y'all. You see see how this now the same thing's going to happen to the future Babylon, and the strong angel now is doing the same thing that Jeremiah did, it's beautiful how the Bible all comes together. So complete will be Babylon's destruction that the strong angel is saying there will be no normal activities of human life taking place, period. There'll be no music. There'll be no working. There'll be nobody preparing food. There'll be no light. There'll be no, no one falling in love and getting married. Babylon will be destroyed never 
to rise again. Nothing. And you know what it is? It's just a list of those things that we seem to think that we make our gods, don't we? And he says, none of those are around anymore. I hope you didn't put your hope in those. So if you want to see more about this, let me give you some verses. We're not going to read all those because we don't have time today. Isaiah 13, 19 through 22. I know some of you said you like these cross-references when you get your own time today. Uh, also, Isaiah 14, uh, verses 23, uh, 22. I'm sorry, verses 14 and, and 13. Stay in 13. So 19, 22, but also 14, 22, and 23. And then I, I, I just told you about uh, Jeremiah. Also, uh, in Jeremiah 50, uh, verse 13 is also about this. And then uh, Jeremiah 39, uh, 51, uh, and, and 37 as well. So, uh, so you can go back and look at those. So when you look at what happens uh, at the very end, you see that the judgment is not just complete. The strong angel justifies the judgment. This is justified. Look at some of the things he said were the reason that it was justified. He said, you know what? He said, you actually made, look at verse 23, about three-quarters of the way down, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth. You worship the merchants. You worshiped all this stuff they provided. They were considered to be great. Anybody ever seen our world? You see how we treat the wealthy and the successful? Well, we can't get enough of it. What, what are we obsessed with? How did you become successful? How did you do it? How, how, how many times have you heard, let me show you how I became successful? Yes, 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 yes. Please. So our lives can be destroyed too. And, uh, and so the merchants were considered the great one. You worship wealth. You did not worship God. So this judgment is justified. Another one, you were you, hey deceived by sorcery. Now listen to this. The Greek word here is pharmakia, which we also use as pharmacy, pharmaceuticals. Uh, in the New Testament, they use this word to stand for you know uh, the occult practices, black magic, um, and and there's a reason why Scripture tells us to be sober minded. Don't let your mind be altered by anything. Alcohol, pharmaceuticals, whatever it may be, because when your mind is altered, it's like the demons say, and we have been invited in. So don't do that. Be sober-minded and alert because your devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And what does the lion always look for? Somebody looks injured. Somebody looks weak. Somebody looks old. No offense. But... uh but, but but the bottom line is, but you know, if, if somebody is old and prepared, the line has a problem. Now, somebody who's let themselves get old and weak and frail, now you got a problem. And uh, and and so, but but really, that's not more physical. It's really more spiritual. Don't be weak spiritually. You know, and there's nothing that's more pathetic is for a man to get gray hair and still be spiritually weak. My goodness, we've earned this. Let's 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 do something with it, right? I love myself older than I did younger. I was an idiot. And my wife says I'm just less an idiot now, but still not like I was. I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So, um, so, so, so what's saying is one of the reasons they were holding on to the world wasn't just wealth. That was one reason. But they also were holding on to the influence of the occult, the influ- influence of darkness that was all over the city. And you know what the strong angel says? That brought judgment, and you deserve it. And then uh, the third one is the murderous slaughter of God's people. You murdered God's people. Think about that when Jesus is crying over Jerusalem. My father, everybody he sends y'all, you stone or kill. And now you rejected me. And oh, I had longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her children under her wings, but you were not willing. And you know what he's saying? Now God's judgment has to come on you, and it's deserved. Have you ever noticed this in your life? I have. Every single problem I got into in my life that led to disaster, I missed God's exit. I was giving you a way out. I was giving you a way out. I've had things in my life, looking back over the horror of my life when I made bad decisions, I've had God almost sit shotgun with me in the car and just simply say, turn right, don't turn left. Don't turn left. I'm telling you, turning left is wrong. 
turn right and go home. And I'd turn left. And then when, you know, I'd be sitting in some police station, God's like, I said, turn right. I was trying to protect you from this. Don't turn left. Just simple things like that. God always offers an out, and we just won't take it. And so the murderous slaughter of God's people also brings his wrath. And the strong angel says, because you have murdered God's people, you deserve what you're getting. Let's close with Luke 12. Go to Luke 12, and we'll be done. Luke 12, 16 through 21. Very, very interesting parable that Jesus tells us that applies to our lesson today. So we're in Luke chapter 12, and we're in verse 16, if you're there yet. I love the sound of those Bibles turning. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll just build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You notice here he's not saying that the guy says, Hey, God's put me in a good position that I can go out and be a disciple and make disciples. He sees God allowing him comfort as, This means I should knock it out of gear and just feed my flesh. That's why God gave me all these things. Of course, we know that's incorrect. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? You know what he's saying? Hey, hey, Hoss, all this you got laid up, you're going to die tonight, so somebody else going to get them. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. That's in red words, by the way. That's from Jesus. You think Jesus was looking ahead to this? If your idea is that every all this earthly stuff and all your possessions have been given to you for you to just pleasure yourself, he said, you really should have thought about that differently because you, you could die tonight. And all this stuff you got and all this stuff I got is just going to somebody else. And if you don't have a good will, it's going to go to the government. And they'll divide it up. But let me tell you about you and me. It ain't going to do us a bit of good. We ain't taking it with us. So the question is, which group would you and I be in? If God destroyed everything that we have, all our possessions, all our stuff, would we be lamenting over how dare he destroy my stuff? Or would we repent of how sinful we were that it required him to do that? Every time somebody asks me about the trials and tribulations I've been through, They'll say, have you ever been mad at God during all that? No, I haven't. But I sure have been mad at myself. That God, I put him in a position that he would have to do those things because I was so sinful to give me my best shot at being right with him. As Paul says, to humble me, to keep me from being conceited. So I celebrate calamity, and I, 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 I celebrate my weakness because when God makes me weak, then he makes me strong because I become totally dependent on him, which is what I should have done from the beginning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the comfort and the peace that, that, that you haven't given up on us yet. That, that any adjustments we need to make, you have been gracious to allow us time to do it. You've given us these moments. For some of us, this may be the only moments we have. Time may be running out. But Lord, I pray if that's the case, or, or why even wait to that? I pray if, to, if this is the moment that we've been convicted that right now we do business with you. Some of us just need to readjust our, our priorities. We're not lost, but we need to readjust our priorities. 
Some of us are lost, and the reason why we're hanging on to this world is it's all we got. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we're all doing business with you right now with sincerity of heart. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us that fearing you is where all wisdom begins. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us. If you need me, rick at burgessministries.com.